It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Simon Sinek once said, Panic causes tunnel vision. Calm acceptance of danger allows us to more easily assess the situation and see the options. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com or our social media channels. Download some after-episode extras, such as our thorough Seeker Rewind show notes and our bonus Bible study questions available on our individual episode pages. And look for new videos for all ages every week at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. So, Jonathan, today we have the subject. We do indeed. And our question is, does the coronavirus fit into God's plan? And our theme text is found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? So today, folks, we are talking about the coronavirus and God's plan. Social distancing. Now, three months ago, if you heard that term, you may have thought it was describing someone who was a loner or someone who swore off of social media. Now, we not only know, not, not, not only all know what it means, we feel its meaning, and it's frightening. I was in the grocery store today, and on the floor uh, of the line for the self-checkout, there were tape lines six feet apart, so shoppers could more easily avoid contact. The coronavirus, COVID-19, has arrived, and it's potent, fearsome, and sneaky. Because of its presence, the entire world has been altered socially and economically in the matter of a few months. So as Christians, what are we supposed to do with this pandemic? So coming up in today's podcast, here we are, stuck with social distancing and in a state of upheaval and fear with no relief in sight. Frankly, this stinks. Is it God's fault? What is there about this particular virus that is so unnerving? These questions are going to be opened up in segments one and two with some clear answers. Is there a difference between the biblical time of the end and what we call the end times? Oh, yes, there is. What is it? Well, you can find that out in segment three. What about modern day, quote, prophets, unquote, who seem to have predicted this outbreak? How do we handle that? What should a Christian, a strong Christian response be to this whole thing? Stay with us for segment four. And finally, the bottom line, does this virus and pandemic easily fit into God's plan? And what is his plan anyway? Segment five will give you those answers. Rick, what should we know? How should we act? And most importantly, is this virus connected to God's plan? Okay, Very good questions, very important questions, very big questions. And so we brought Julie in to answer everything. Hey, Julie, how are (laughs) you? Oh, that's great. (laughs) All right, Liz, before we get into anything, I just want to ask the question that we know everybody is thinking about. Is this the end? Is this virus the time of the end that everyone is secretly worried about? Well, the answer is no. No, no. 
And just to be clear, the answer is no. It is not the end. It is simply a piece of the puzzle that goes along with end times. So it is not the end of the world. If you're feeling that way, stay with us so we can put this all into a much better perspective. Okay, because I've seen a lot of scriptures that have been thrown around social media lately, and they're trying to be prophetic. So let me run a few by you and see what you think. So was COVID-19 from God? Was it predicted already in 2 Chronicles 7, 13, and 14, along with some other recent tragedies in the world? It's, it's pretty coincidental. Okay, well, let's take a look. Jonathan, let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 7, 13, and 14. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So what you have here is interesting verse. I shut up the heavens so there's no rain. Well, the, we had those Australia wildfires and, and there was no rain. Yeah, okay. it was bad. It was, okay. And, and it says, and if locusts come to devour the land, well, the African locust plague is enormous. And then it says, if I send pestilence among the people, well, welcome COVID-19. You know, this was out on social media. As a matter of fact, this was sent to my daughter with COVID-19 written right over the verses. And you know, my daughter said, so I guess we're doomed. Ha ha. <laughs> and uh, so that's a verse. And you'll read that and you just take that verse and you say, man, this is the end. Well, what's the bottom line, Jonathan? Well, um, the context is the bottom line, Rick. <laughs> okay, it's always. If we don't know what the context is, how can we understand the verse? So let's, Julie, I know you had another verse, but let's read the context on this verse first. So the context of this verse in Second Chronicles 7 is it's all about Israel being faithful at the completion of Solomon's temple. Okay, that's what the verse is about. Jonathan, let's go to the context, Second Chronicles 7, 11 to 18. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's palace and successfully completed all that he had planned on doing in the house of the Lord and in his palace. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people and my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. So that verse that was sent out on social media, shutting up the heavens so there's no rain, commanding the locusts to devour the land and sending a pestilence was about Israel, specifically and only in its context, because Solomon's temple had been completed, it was a magnificent edifice to give them a place to worship. And God is saying to Solomon, use this for what it's supposed to be. And if you're not faithful to this, there, there are consequences. And Rick, God never does things randomly. <laughs> let's, let's make that clear. Okay, good. But 
for a purpose. Now, how about the example, the 10 plagues against the Egyptians uh, for the releasing of the enslaved Israelites? Now, Egypt would have been spared if Pharaoh had listened to Moses. So, you know, that, that's an important factor, that God does not randomly just do things to create havoc for people because he doesn't like them. And that idea is entirely unscriptural. So, Julie, that first scripture that you had mentioned, no, it's taken completely out of context. Sounds good, okay? Pretty coincidental, but it's not prophetically pointing to where we are. All right, so what if I can show you that it's really obvious that the Bible predicted self-quarantine? You'd be amazed, wouldn't you? I would be amazed. Go ahead. Okay, (laughs) I'm going to hit you with Isaiah 26, 20 to 21. Uh, Jonathan. Come, my people, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until indignation runs its course. For behold, the Lord is about to come out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her slain. Well, first of all, verse 20, let, let's get to, to that. Um, my people are those who are close Uh, and have a personal relationship with God, trusting in his promises, living a life of Christ-likeness and staying under God's wings. They're not hiding. That's where they live daily. Okay. All right. Good. Julie, go ahead. Well, it just, uh, Jonathan made it sound a lot (laughs) more more logical than I was going to make it sound. You know, it's not apparently self-quarantine. It's, he just explained it. It's where the Christian lives. And see, this is the important thing. And again, the point here is read the context. Now, look, this is a prophecy, and we're going to give you what we believe is the prophetic interpretation. Now, certainly it can be up for debate amongst different denominations and so forth, but from our perspective, we believe that this prophecy of Isaiah 26, in which verses 20 and 21 are a part, is about the nominal church systems realizing their failure to bring the world to Christ. Why do we say that? Well, listen to Isaiah 26, verses 17 and 18, a couple of verses before that verse that seems to talk about self-quarantine. Jonathan, go ahead. As the pregnant woman approaches the time to give birth, she writhes and cries out in her labor pains. Thus were we before you, O Lord. We were pregnant. We writhed in labor. We gave birth as it seems only to wind. We could not accomplish deliverance for the earth, nor were her inhabitants of the world born. So, you know, in, from, from our perspective, again, a, a prophetic interpretation, our perspective of this is that we're, we're looking at this and saying the churches have largely failed to bring the world to Christ as they have attempted to do. And we believe the reason for that failure is because now is not the time for all of the world to come to Christ, subject for a different podcast, but... That's what we think this is talking about. So, you know, verses 20 and 21, the first verses with the, quote, quarantine, unquote, refer to Christians, like Jonathan said, hiding in safety of God's will and protection. We need to not take the Bible out of context. And this is one of those subjects, the virus is tough enough, this one makes my blood boil, because we need to be clear that the Word of God is consistent and clear, and God is not a bully, God is not a monster, and God is not bringing the coronavirus to make people suffer. It's just as simple as that. So, 
you know, be, before we get to wrapping this segment up, uh, Jonathan and Julie, you know, we're, we want to approach this whole subject today from really four perspectives, a social perspective, a political perspective, a religious perspective, and a medical perspective. Because our objective here, once we've now put God in place where we can say, okay, God's not doing this, is we want to be clear and factual, and by being based on, uh, on clarity and facts, you bring hope and you bring peace to people because truth opens up understanding and understanding opens up the ability to cope. So each segment we're going to end, we're going to be looking to flush out fear. So Julie, how are we flushing out fear based on what we've talked about so far? God did not bring this pandemic upon the world to punish us, but God does allow evil to increase in the world until he sees it is time to stop it. Okay. He didn't bring the pandemic. But he does allow evil. And if you haven't noticed, that's been going on for a really long time. Is this any different? No, it's just further along down the path. That's where we're going with all of this. So now that we know God's not crashing and burning the world, we need to handle the huge problem that we all face. This pandemic really is sending the world into a frenzy. How do we handle the panic? Is it justified? We're rolling out new series content this year. Multiple episodes on one topic over consecutive weeks, such as what do we do when the Bible seems to contradict itself? Go to ChristianQuestions.com and search for Bible Contradictions to see the full series of episodes and stay tuned for more new episodes and more new series releases at ChristianQuestions.com. You know, this is not the first time the world has been sent into such a panicked state. However, it is the first time we've had this experience in the advanced social media society that we live in. Just like the 2016 United States presidential election was the first social media election that we ever experienced, the COVID-19 pandemic is the first social media pandemic we have ever experienced. We're going to expand that thought in a little bit, but first, let's go back to... building some groundwork here. And Julie, you know, Julie is a CQ contributor. You do a lot of research for us. You've you've helped us in all kinds of ways. You take care of CQ Rewind with your team. Um, We asked you to do a lot of background research on COVID-19. So thank you for that in advance, because we're going to get into a lot of details here. So let's get started. What is COVID-19. And uh, we, Julie, what's the source on this before Jonathan gives us a, just a quick brief definition? Uh, this is the CDC. So this is, um, you know, here within the United States. Okay. Coronavirus disease 2019, COVID-19, is a respiratory illness that can spread from person to person. The virus that causes COVID-19 is a novel coronavirus that was first identified during an investigation into an outbreak in Wuhan, China. Okay, so it's a pretty simple, straightforward virus, but it's a pretty tenacious virus, as we shall soon see. So viruses are infectious particles, and on their own, they can't make more of themselves and can only be replicated with the help of a living cell. So I'm very blessed to have a lifelong friend who is the professor of microbiology at Marshall University, Dr. Wendy Trina. And you won't believe this, but I go to her with all my biology needs, and shockingly, I've had some over the years. Um, she's starting a website called the mellowmicrobe.com that'll help explain <laughs> things to commoners like me, complex things to ordinary people. So I, so I asked Dr. Wendy a few questions. 
my first question was, why is this coronavirus so contagious? And this is what she answered. Well, coronavirus first attaches specifically to cells of the airway, gets into the cells and essentially reprograms these cells to make more viruses. The infected cell can produce millions of new viruses, which can then be transmitted to other people, often even before symptoms occur in the originally infected person. Since it resides in the upper respiratory tract and causes only mild or no symptoms in about 80% of people, many people do not even realize they are contagious. It is spread very easily by people coughing or sneezing or via their hands if they've rubbed their nose. The virus can remain infectious on some surfaces for as long as three days. It is the 20% who will develop severe life-threatening symptoms who are most at risk. So this is actually the seventh kind of human coronavirus that we've identified. There's ones with a bunch of letters and numbers you haven't heard of, like 229E, um, but there are some that you've heard of, like MERS, the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, and SARS, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. And now we've got this SARS-CoV-2, this novel coronavirus or COVID-19. They're named for their crown-like spikes on the surface. You know, we've all seen those pictures of that virus ball with those little spikes coming out of it. So I asked Dr. Wendy, what are those spiky things? And this is what she said. Yeah, I mean, Julie asked that question only as Julie would do. What are those spiky things? And just, just. <laughs> have, but you've wondered, right? You've I, seen I, those. I do yeah, wonder what wondered. the spikes are. I never thought about spiky things, to tell you the truth. But anyway, Dr. Wendy Trina. So the coronavirus has spike proteins on its surface, and these spike proteins are what bind to receptors on the target cell. In this case, the cells that line the respiratory tract called epithelial cells. So think of the spike protein as a key and the receptor on the cells as the lock. This is how it attaches to our cells. And this virus binds at least 10 times more tightly to this receptor than does the spike protein of the SARS virus. Now, once our bodies make antibodies that are specific for the spike protein, the virus would then be prevented from binding. So scientists around the world are learning more each day about the virus, understanding its shape and the mechanisms it uses to infect and replicate in our cells. So a detailed understanding of all of these processes will provide potential targets for therapeutic intervention and vaccine development. So these spiky things are what makes it so bad because that's the attachment point. And if they can make a virus or the therapeutic intervention that can block that somehow, that's, that's where we're going to win this thing. Okay, so there, there's a lot of deep detail. And folks, what we're trying to do is give you a factual foundation of understanding so you can better cope with the massive amounts of panic that is surrounding so many of us. So we've talked a little bit about what this COVID-19 virus is. Now let's go to the next stage, and that is let's define what actually what a pandemic is. And so, Julie, what's our next source? Uh, this is going to be from uh, world, uh, excuse me, from health.com. The word pandemic is enough to induce widespread panic and with good reason. According to the World Health Organization, a pandemic is the worldwide spread of a new disease. A pandemic is when an uh, epidemic spreads between countries, says David Jones, uh, doctor, a professor of the culture of medicine at Harvard University. In this case of COVID-19, specially, 
the World Health Organization says that is is the first pandemic caused by a coronavirus. So remember, there's this is the seventh actually type of coronavirus. So an epidemic happens when there's a sudden increase in the number of cases of a disease, more than what's typically expected for the population in that area. But a pandemic is an epidemic that has spread over several countries or continents affecting a large number of people. Now, declaring a pandemic is important because pandemic vaccines are paid for by governments. Conventional vaccines are paid for by ordinary health services. So declaring a pandemic frees up funds. And you know, obviously you need them when you've got a pandemic because it's something that is big and kind of can grow out of control all by its lonesome self. So we've defined basically what COVID-19 is. And we're going to go through more details as we go through the podcast. And a pandemic is when you have this widespread worldwide uh, infectiousness. And right now I think uh, COVID-19 is in 177 or more countries in the world. And that's pretty much most. So we're, we really are looking at a worldwide pandemic. So here's the thing. We're also experiencing a social media pandemic. And I just want to take a moment and go through that with you. And, and folks, really what this is, is a social media, is social media pandemonium. Because here's the difference between we, where we are now and where we've been before. Where we are now is we are just seeing everything all the time and we get to hear it and repeat it and send it and take pictures of it and log it and hear more. And the more you hear about something, it could be the exact same thing. If you hear about it 17 times in a day versus twice, it's bigger in your head. And so what we have is that added difficulty of things, information being thrown at every one of us. And it's scary. It's scary, and that needs to have some kind of control in it. Julie, go ahead. And I don't remember ever seeing before a live death count right. on virtually every cable news channel that's updated every second. I mean, it's it's very unnerving to watch this every day. Yeah, and, and you know, and that's the key. It's unnerving, and I'm going to say it's unnecessary. And we're going to get to that. Okay, not that we're we're minimizing things, but we're going to get get to all of that. So, look. Let's get into this in a little bit more detail. So, what you know, social media is great for the transference of thoughts and opinions and the stirring up of predominantly negative emotions. Have you noticed that most of the time people get onto social media and doing all this, they get angry at something or they're, or they're frustrated or they're fearful or they're jealous or whatever it is? This has led us to outright fear. So, so let, let me give you a few examples. All right, all right, Julie, how long does the coronavirus last on surfaces? Well, I would have said three days, but I read an article that said it's 17 days, and this was put out by the CDC, which is Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. They found the virus in cabins of that faded Diamond Princess cruise ship after the passengers disembarked. They went into their rooms, took tests, found the virus. 17 days, final answer. And that's what the the headline said, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Here's the problem. Folks, what Julie just said is incorrect. Eh, wrong answer. Okay. What? Okay. Well, because the facts of the matter are thus. The, they did found the virus's RNA, the genetic material, in that boat 17 days later in the uncleaned cabins, but not the live virus that can make people sick. 
So the real answer is this. A study in the New England Journal of Medicine published March 17th found that the virus was able to live three hours in the air and up to three days on hard surfaces like plastic and stainless steel. So, Julie, your headline caused panic, right? It did, It did because that was replayed in a lot of places. And it was not true. The headline was misleading. There was a piece of truth in it, but it, a lot of other things got attached to it. This is what we need to be careful of. So, Jonathan, another question for you, okay? Okay. Should we take or should we avoid taking ibuprofen or aspirin to combat symptoms? Well, there is an email going around that says Advil makes the symptoms 10 times worse. Have you seen it? I have seen it. And as a matter of fact, it was sent to me by someone who just wanted to be helpful. Like, here, information you need to know. So as I read through the email, I realized that it is giving incorrect information. So, so here, here's the fact of the matter. And folks, listen, because we hear things and we jump to conclusions. And then we send our conclusions to others, and then we can send them to our whole list, who can send them to their whole list, and it spreads faster than the virus itself. Okay, here's the answer. The French Minister of Health did issue a statement that people infected should not use ibuprofen or aspirin to treat the disease. They should instead use acetaminophen or, tyl- or Tylenol. The truth, the truth is we just don't yet know. The World Health Organization is not aware of reports of negative effects of ibuprofen beyond the usual side effects. So, folks, it's not true. You can't say it makes it 10 times worse. There is not a stitch not a stitch of medical evidence. And we got to be careful about that. Rick, this reminds me of the old telephone game. Yeah. <laughs> Someone passes on some information and it changes as it goes. And, you know, that's the problem. And, you know, we, you know, sometimes we think, oh, I've got information that nobody else has. No, you don't. No, you don't. And you, I was just sent an article this morning with the headline, Here's the headline. Up to 10% of recovered coronavirus patients test positive again, report says. You know, as if we aren't afraid to get it the first time, now we've got to be afraid to get it the second time. But, you know, upon closely reading it, the people have no symptoms, they're not contagious, and it admits, the article itself admits that the numbers of people are, quote, not enough to assure us of the validity of our initial findings, end quote. And it's all Chinese data. So... Is the headline up to 10% of recovered coronavirus patients as positive again? Is that something we should be panicky about? Or is that something we should just put to the side because they're not ready? They're not done yet telling us what's what's true, what's not. And this is the point. Folks, please, please, please get this into your heart and into your mind. Everything you hear is liable to be added to and editorialized. And, and we've got to be careful that we only listen to things that are absolutely true, things that we absolutely know. All of this brings us to fear. And that's the other pandemic going around, fear and panic. So Jonathan, let's take a, a, a couple of minutes here and just talk about fear. First, Merriam-Webster dictionary definition of fear. And there's uh, several. Okay. Uh, first, an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. Second, an anxious concern. Third, a profound reverence and awe, especially toward God. And lastly, four, reason for alarm. Okay. So an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger or awareness of perceived 
danger. I'm adding that to the, that's not the definition. I just added the word perceived because our emotions bring us a reality that doesn't actually exist. So look, there are reasons to be afraid of things and there are reasons to be respectful of things. And there's a difference between the two, between being afraid and being respectful. So let's take a look at fear in scripture for a moment. Luke 21 verses 25 to 26. There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting for fear and the expectation of things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And Rick, that word for fear means to be put in fear, alarm or fright. And a different word for fear is found in 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. Okay, so for today, we've, we've got the word for fear in Luke and in 1 John, and then we've got another word for punishment. Today, we're only going to deal with the type of fear that's de- defined um, in terms of being afraid of something, not reverential fear. That's a different kind of fear. We don't even want to address that today because it's not relevant to our conversation. So today, we'll only—well, um, oh, go ahead, Julie. Go ahead. Well, that, that, okay, so Jonathan just read Luke 21. 26 men fainting from fear in the expectation of things which are coming on the world that sounds pretty scary like it is it is no question bad is happening yes yeah and all right so the question is are we there and the answer is no we're not Okay, and we're going to get to that scripture later on. We're going to come back around to that in a few more segments. So good question, good observation, and we're going to come right back around to that. But, but Jonathan, in the first John scripture, it says fear has punishment. What, what does that mean? And the King James Version says fear has torment. What, is, what does that mean? Well, punishment means uh, penal infliction, and that comes from the root word, which means properly to curtail, that is figuratively to chastise. And uh, I love the Greek-English lexicon definition. It, it says, to lop or prune as trees and wings. Also to curb, check, restrain. Also to chase, chasten, correct, or punish. And to cause to be punished. A good example for this is in 2 Peter 2.9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished and that's the king james version so to be punished is actually means to be pruned to be cut back to be restrained so when it says fear that that alarm or fright has punishment what what it's saying to us is fear cuts back our abilities in a dramatic way and folks that's what it does the fear that surrounds covid19 punishes it cuts back our ability to see the actual reality of the circumstance and we need to focus on what's actually real and it really limits you doesn't it yes yeah it's it's a fear absolutely limits and you know we get into the fight flight or freeze mentality once we come across fear we've got to be careful of those things so the bottom line is that fear has consequences when we fear we pay a price and it is costly So for this episode, as we talk about fear, we turned it into an acronym. Why did we do that? Because I can't help it. I have to do things like that. I just, and that's the truth. I just, I have such a good time with words. So let's look at fear as this. Fear is furious emotion that alters reality. F-E-A-R. Furious emotion that alters reality. 
That's what fear is. That's what we're facing along with a pandemic, and it's making it far, far worse for us emotionally to be able to manage that. So Julie, wrapping up this segment, how do we flush out fear so far? Understanding fear is the first step to overcoming fear. (laughs) It's that simple. You understand it and you can begin to overcome it. So look, we now have a basic understanding of the virus and the other contagion, which is fear. Let's see what we need to do next. Is the coronavirus pandemic different than other pandemics? Are there things that make it unique? If you love our podcast, show us some love on social media. Search for our handle at CQ Bible Podcast or just search for Christian Questions on Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, and Twitter. Now back to our discussion. The most dramatic uniqueness uh, may be one one that's so obvious we don't even notice it. That is, we are watching this pandemic unfold before our eyes, like Julie said before, in real time. We can view every aspect of it from wherever we are, and we can view it in high definition, and we are free to react, respond, and editorialize at our leisure. And that, folks, makes it bigger than it really is. Now, look. We're not minimizing what COVID-19 is and does because it takes lives and it's very, very contagious. And this segment, we're looking at COVID-19 very, very specifically in terms of trying to understand it. So let's start with a soundbite from COVID, uh, coronavirus disease. And this is COVID-19 and this is from the CDC. This is a wonderful, wonderful video that put things in some really, really strong perspective in understanding how COVID-19 works. The lungs are lined with billions of epithelial cells. These are the border cells of your body, lining your organs and mucosa, waiting to be infected. Corona connects to a specific receptor on its victim's membranes to inject its genetic material. The cell, ignorant of what's happening, executes the new instructions, which are pretty simple, copy and reassemble. It fills up with more and more copies of the original virus until it reaches a critical point and receives one final order, self-destruct. The cell sort of melts away, releasing new corona particles, ready to attack more cells. The number of infected cells grows exponentially. After about 10 days, millions of body cells are infected and billions of viruses swarm the lungs. Julie, that does not sound pretty at all. It gets worse, too. Oh, great. Hold on. There's more. Okay. Again, fear. We see fear as furious emotion that alters reality. Let's not get stuck in the fear. Let's understand the facts. And then we can separate the facts from the fiction, and we can move forward. So, Julie, what are the specifics of COVID-19 in terms of other things and so forth and so on? What, what, What do you have for us here? Well, you know, first of all, children are very much affected by this fear situation, as most of the world is really off of school now. And so CQ Kids, we have a video that's called How How Can We Fight Fear? So we can go to christianquestions.com slash YouTube and look for all of our CQ Kids videos. But there's a good one there for how do I how do we fight fear? Um, So CBS News back last week, March 22nd, 2020, They said this, three factors make fear spiral out of control. The first, if it's unpredictable. The second, if it's uncontrollable. The third is if it's sustained and chronic. 
And unfortunately, we have all three classes of problematic stress in this coronavirus. We feel anxious because of what we see, and fear fills in the blanks, making us think everything is more dangerous. And throughout this whole uh, podcast, we're going to go ahead on our CQ Rewind show night notes, put all of our sources so that you can look this up on your own as well. So we're going to reference um, one thing, by the way, the CQ Rewind show notes, you can go ahead and uh, register for that really easy. Just sign up for our newsletter. We'll send them to you each week. This is where we type up all of our notes. We type up every scripture that's quoted and a lot of the commentary, and we'll go ahead and add charts and graphics. So back to our coronavirus. So I was looking up some of previous viruses and previous things that happened, previous plagues. You know, back in the 1300s, the bubonic plague killed 200 million people. The outbreak wiped out 30 to 50% of Europe's population, and it took more than 200 years, they say, for the continent's population to recover. But let me give you some statistics from CDC.gov. This is, again, the Center for Disease Control, about what we call the swine flu. In the United States, from April 2009 to 2010, that's one year, the CDC estimates there were 60.8 million cases 60.8 million cases in the United States, 274,000 and change of hospitalizations, and nearly 12,500 deaths due to the H1N1 or swine flu virus. And additionally, CDC estimated that nearly 570,000 people worldwide died from the infection from the first year the virus circulated. 80% of those deaths were said to occur in people younger than 65 years of age. So the virus continues now to even circulate as a seasonal flu virus, and it causes illness, hospitalizations, and deaths. This was just 10 years ago. How come we don't remember swine flu as being a major issue? Well, you know, and that, that's, a, that's a big question. Now, this, there, there are differences here, but you're right. 60 million people got sick over a year, and 12-plus thousand died in this country between 150 and 500,000, depending on the, the source, died worldwide. So it was a big deal. And the answer is because we didn't have social media in front of us the way we do now. We have everything. And like you said, a live death count, never in the history of humanity have, have people in New Zealand been able to track what happens in the state of Connecticut in the United States to figure it out. So... That's one of the big reasons this has become such a big, fearful thing. So I asked my friend, Dr. Wendy, how the novel coronavirus compares so far to other pandemics. And this is what she said. COVID-19 is spreading much more than either swine flu or SARS did. Now, this may be because of the fact that it's not as lethal as SARS, MERS, or Ebola. The more lethal a virus, the less likely it becomes super infectious since it's killing the host and thus not spreading. Swine flu, the 2009 H1N1 pandemic, was highly infectious but not very lethal. A lot of people were infected around the world, but the death rate was very low, around 0.01 to 0.02%. SARS was a lot deadlier but a lot less infectious. It didn't spread anywhere nearly as easily as this virus and was reasonably quickly contained. So the SARS epidemic of 2003, that killed around 10% of the 8,098 confirmed cases. 
COVID-19 is the worst of both. It looks like it spreads as easily as swine flu, but kills almost as many as SARS. So with lethality currently at 4.5% globally, and that's according to data from the Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center. And we're going to go ahead and post uh, the links that she's talking about. And unfortunately, since the time she recorded this, which was just over the weekend, it has gone up a little bit. It's not 4.5 globally right now. It's about 4.78 globally, which we checked right before we came on the air because we can, because we can see the live death count and who's infected in real time. It's a little unnerving. Um, So what I learned from that was that when a virus kills more, it fizzles out faster because there's no live host. And I thought that was very interesting. So because this is such a low death rate in the United States, um, it is, what is it? It's really low. It's a, like a 1.8% as of right before we came on air. And um, so it's a very, very low. So it, it is spreading quickly. Now, just a quick thing. Ebola had a 40% mortality rate. Yeah. 40% of the people that got Ebola died, uh, but it only affected nine countries. We're already up to 178 countries as just before we came on air. So you, when you did the comparison to the swine flu of 2009, 2010, you know, there's a lot of numbers floating around there. And then Dr. Trina basically said, well, this is worse in that it's more contagious and, right. and you know, it's still, it's still got that, that deadly factor to it that we have to be aware of. And so we do have to be aware of it, but do we have to be afraid of it? And those, that's the difference. We need to be aware, we, but we don't need to be afraid. Okay, uh, just Julie, did you want to just go through some data data pack stats at this point, or? Yeah, we have a we have we found a, some great uh, information. It's called actually informationisbeautiful.net, and there's some infographics and there's a data pack. It's called, and we'll go ahead and we'll not only reprint it into the rewind, but we'll also give you the website information so that you can update it. Again, um, if you go to our website and look up this program right on the program page, we have uh, the CQ Rewind show notes that are available to you for free. They're also on the app and you can write us for the newsletter and you'll get them every week. Um, So I've got my data pack here. Okay, so let's look at a couple of things. First of all, the majority of infections are mild. Okay, that's, we need to understand that and we need to be very, very, very cognizant of that. Almost 81% of infections are mild. You don't feel good. A little under 14% are severe and 4.7% are critical. Okay, most of the people who have the greatest adverse effect, according to Datapack, are folks that are older. Okay, 60 and older is where the mortality rates go up very high. 70 to 79, they're much higher and then they double 80 plus. And what makes them so bad in those age brackets is other pre-existing conditions. Please understand this, folks, okay? Anybody at any age can pass away from this. There's no question about that. But the likelihood is minimal unless you're in this position. If you have, you're a 70-plus-year-old person, and you have one other condition, kind of like uh, a cardiovascular disease or diabetes or chronic respiratory disease or abnormally high blood pressure or cancer, you have a 25% of dying. If you have two conditions, you have another 26% chance of dying. If you have three other conditions, you have a 48% chance of dying. 
even an older person without other conditions has only a 1% chance of passing away. So understand that's where the primary death toll is. Now, does that make it any better? No, but it does make it localized. Let's not be afraid of things that we don't need to be afraid of on a large, large scale. Jonathan, go ahead. And Rick, hearing all of this information, we should be careful versus panic. Yes. Yeah. Use a spirit of a sound mind. Be careful. Try to protect others. Wash your hands. Be safe. Don't be around large groups. Just use your head. Yeah, yeah, really. And and so, you know, with, with the and the other thing about data pack, one of the last statistics, Julian, you kept telling me, don't forget this one, is COVID-19 uh, has had 2.1 billion mentions in the media. Two um, point, that 2.1 billion. 2.1 billion. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Two. Go, go ahead, Julie. Finish. As compared to, let's just say, the ones we know of, SARS, 66.3 million. Million. Yeah. Versus 2.1 billion. This is being blown up in the media and we're being bombarded with it and it's fear. And again, there's something very deeply, disturbingly contagious about this virus. Please, let's not underestimate that, but let's not overestimate what it can do. Okay, we just need to keep it in perspective. Folks, knowledge is power. Now that we know more about this current pandemic and now that we've been able to put it into some kind of context, let's use this understanding to face down our fear. Rather than being full of fear, let's suggest relabeling our fear as a tool. And fear can become, and again, it's another acronym. Why is it another acronym? F-E-A-R, because I love things like that and I can't keep myself from doing it. So Jonathan, F-E-A-R, how do we relabel fear? All right. F is for faith, is a decision, not an emotion, and needs to be applied and not merely felt. E is expectation. Here is where you apply the roots of your faith. A is for action. Here is where you apply the reality of your faith. And R is for rejoice. Here is where you witness the results of your faith. Relabel your fear. Folks, I want to share a personal experience with you in dealing with this, managing the fear of the virus. You know, my grandson Dominic has been hanging around with us a lot these days. And um, we began talking and, you know, he had that fear of, you know, this virus thing. So what we've been doing is doing consistent research, he and I together, on a regular basis, tracking the numbers and trying to understand it. And we do it together. And uh, Dominic's here. He's kind of been hanging out. He's been waiting for this opportunity all evening. And uh, so, uh, Dominic, after doing all of our research, tell me, what three things have you learned about this virus and its, its effect on our world here? Well, um, I've definitely learned that you wash your hands to keep others and yourself safe. Um, be smart about this, and we will get through this. It's really what Jonathan said in a nutshell, but um, those are the main three things I've learned um, from doing all this research. All right, and, and you know, thank you, Dominic. That's, and, and folks, the point is this. Give those around you factual knowledge because it takes the fear and it puts it aside because we can understand things so much more, more clearly. And, and I have seen a dramatic change in, in, in Dominic's perspective of this whole thing. We look at the How old is Dominic? Dominic is 12. Okay. 
Okay, and so we've we've been able to to see it more clearly together. So let's now go to a scriptural perspective. We said the acronym for fear to change fear is to make it, make it turn into faith, expectation, action, and rejoice. Well, here's a faith test. So the F for faith. Here's a test. What do we decide to see when we read this next scriptural prophecy? Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they shall be wise, and shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they, they will turn many to the righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased." So, you know, we, we look at this, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And then later in the verse, you know, seal the book even to the time of the end. Julie? Are those the same thing? And are we in the time of trouble now? Are we in the time of the end now? This is what people want to know. Okay. So is the time of the end the end times that we always talk about? And the answer is kind of, but not really. How's that? Well, that's no good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what it is, the time of the end is a long period of time in which this great increase of knowledge takes place to build up to the time of trouble, which is the end times of the time of the end. So when we look at it, prophetically, the time of the end has been going on for a very long time. This time of trouble, we, I think, are on the cusp of, but we're not really, really, really in the middle of yet. So no, the time of the end is not the time of trouble, but it is the time of trouble is a piece, a very small piece of the time of the end. So, Jonathan, when we look at this prophecy, what do we see? Do we expect the worst time of trouble ever to come upon this world, or do we expect deliverance as a result of this time of trouble? Wait, 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 hold on. Or, wait a minute, I see it as an and and not an or. So do we expect the worst time of trouble ever to come upon the world? Yes. And do we expect deliverance as a result of this trouble? Yes. Yes to both. And the beautiful part about the yes to both answer is that the time of trouble is a very short thing, and the deliverance is a very eternal thing. I'll take short to get to eternal any day, especially if it's within the plan of God. So we need to put these things in perspective. And, and you know, folks, you know, if you're a Christian and you read your Bible and you read those verses and, and you see time of trouble and you see the earth melting and all this and you get all scared, I think, well, look around the verses. Look at the bigger picture because God's plan is magnificent. It is not malevolent. It's magnificent. It is, it has got such goodness in it. And we need to just grab onto it, and hold tight. So, Julie, wrapping up this segment, flushing out fear, what do we do? Fear begins to falter when we begin to grasp what is the driving force behind it. Fear loses its grip when you know what drives it. And so, folks, understand, we have control in areas like that, but we have to decide to apply it. Faith really is our foundation, but we'd better be sure that our faith is truly built on the solid rock of Jesus. 
Faith is always a key Christian answer. How do we practically apply it under such dramatic conditions? Our team of volunteers are accomplishing amazing work every week as we release new audio, video, and web content, helping create the Christian Questions Multimedia Ministry. There's several ways you can get more involved in our not-for-profit mission. Click on Support CQ in our main menu on ChristianQuestions.com. Applying faith is more of a challenge than we might think. Like a salmon swimming upstream, faith requires actually making decisions and living in a way that is not dictated by the current of our physical world. We need to step up for faith to be daily active and daily engaged. It requires swimming against the current. And that, last time I checked, has never been an easy thing. But every Christian example we've ever been given gives us that sense. So now, we're going to get more into some of the COVID-19 pieces, as well as some more scriptural background. But first, let's go back to the, the CDC uh, video called Coronavirus Disease COVID-19. And this, this describes, and does a really good job, of describing what this virus actually does to the immune system. And, and Julie, once it's over, we'll get your, your comments on it. The virus has not caused too much damage yet, but Corona is now going to release a real beast on you, your own immune system. The immune system, while there to protect you, can actually be pretty dangerous to yourself and needs tight regulation. And as immune cells pour into the lungs to fight the virus, Corona infects some of them and creates confusion. Cells have neither ears nor eyes, they communicate mostly via tiny information proteins called cytokines. Nearly every important immune reaction is controlled by them. Corona causes infected immune cells to overreact and yell bloody murder. In a sense, it puts the immune system into a fighting frenzy and sends way more soldiers than it should, wasting its resources and causing damage. Yeah, this is a this is very serious. You know, we don't want to just because you have faith doesn't mean that you can't be concerned about what's going on out there. And, you know, I have faith and yet I cried when I went to a grocery store and found all the shelves empty, you know, and I'm scared of the person next to me. I mean, it's, it's, it can be, it can be very unnerving as what's going on out there. But again, I think what we're going to talk about next is we really have to have good roots. We have to have a good root system. And this is actually a very good time where we're all kind of reflecting and we have a little extra time perhaps to really kind of buckle down and, and figure out where we want to stand. And you know, that's, that's a good point. And, and what's going on out there causes a lot of fear. And then you hear the soundbite and what's going on inside. It's like, that's no good. (laughs) No. So your immune system. Right. So, so folks, none of it is good, but it doesn't mean we need to melt. What it means is we learn to stand by understanding, factually understanding and scripturally understanding what and where we should be going. So again, the acronym to, to take fear and turn it into something good. Jonathan, just review the F and the E as we change it over. F stands for faith. It's a decision, not an emotion, and needs to be applied and not merely felt. And E is for expectation. Here is where you apply the roots of your faith. And we're going to get into that expectation right here. But first, Julie, we talked about before the the podcast, we talked about the, the potential for doomsday predictions coming even before this. And one really popped out um, from someone named Sylvia Brown. Take us, take us through that, please. 
Well, I found this article, it's a CNN article called Coronavirus is Bringing a Plague of Dangerous Doomsday Predictions by John Blake, dated uh, March 23rd, 2020. And they said this, in the summer of 2008, an elderly psychic who claimed she was starting to receive premonitions at age five published a book that contained an ominous prediction. Here's the prediction. In around 2020, a severe pneumonia-like illness will spread throughout the globe, attacking the lungs and the bronchial tubes and resisting all known treatments. Almost more baffling than the illness itself will be the fact that it will suddenly vanish as quickly as it arrived, attack again 10 years later, and then disappear completely, end quote. You know, she died in 2013, but her book is now number two on Amazon's nonfiction chart, and physical copies are selling for hundreds of dollars. Well, the book was written right after the SARS outbreak, and Snopes.com, which is the fact-checking website, they said this, lobbing vague claims about likely events does not a prediction make. <laughs> so the article goes on to say that invoking biblical imagery, such as that found in the book of Revelation, can damage others' psychological health. It can also lead to the danger of doing nothing. People seized with panic over something like COVID-19 might ignore, the article says, other chronic issues threatening humanity's survival, giving the example of global warming. But talking about misinterpretation of Revelation, the article said this, it can lead to a call to inaction. That is to say, people will say, this is all happening because of God's plan, and it's going to get worse before it gets better, so there's nothing we can do about it because it's God's will. End quote. So my question is, Rick, you and Jonathan have been talking about God's coming kingdom on this program for over 20 years. The Bible does tell us God has a plan. We do know it's going to get worse before it gets better. So what's wrong with this statement that there's nothing we can do about it because it is God's will? Well, look, there is everything we can do about it. There's everything. And folks, please, the idea of a Christian succumbing to inaction is the most—and let me be blunt— that is a satanic approach to living your life, because there's, Satan wants nothing better for the, those of us with faith to say, well, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. We're just, it's God's will. It's God's plan. We're going to let it unfold. Folks, our job as Christians is to participate in the unfolding of God's plan. Wherever we are, whatever we do, whatever we think, whoever we are with, we should be that Christ-like individual. Did Jesus, under any circumstances, ever stop showing others the gospel? Never. Hanging on the cross. What does he say? Behold your mother. Behold your son. He makes sure his mother is taken care of. Everything about him was about being light, no matter what was happening to him or around him. Everything about us should be about being light, no matter what happens to us, or around us. Never, ever, ever go down the road of an action. It just is not Christ-like. And if all you can do is pray, then pray hard. Pray fervently, pray specifically, and ask for God's providence to be upon those who you know are suffering. That, my friend, is great action. <sighs> okay, does that make sense? It does. Okay, so let's move forward now. Let's get into some scriptures on this. Uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 27. Again, getting into more fear-based things. They did eat 
They drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Great. <laughs> well, see, yeah, that's the point. Isn't that just the way we're doing it now? You know, we eat, we drink, we have wives, we get children, you know, everybody's doing. And this time of the end is said, it's going to be just like Noah. Yeah. So something's going to come and destroy us all. Okay. But see, the point of that verse is not to say that, well, you should stop living. The point of the verse is to say that God's plans progress while life goes on. While everybody is doing what they always do, God's plans are progressing. Sometimes they're progressing imperceptibly, and sometimes they're progressing obviously. It's a good example of God giving us free will. He allows us to live our lives as his plan progresses. When the time for his kingdom comes, it comes. Do I know when that's going to be? No. Do I want to guess? No, I can tell you one thing for sure. It's coming. That's as far as we can go. But so the idea here is, look, we live our lives and God's plan progresses. It doesn't mean it's something to be shaking your boots about. It means live your life and, and observe and be wise and, and, and be scriptural and be spiritual in how you do things if you're a Christian. I think that's what it's focusing on. So, so, so to manage fear, we need to lean upon our strongly rooted pre-fear expectations that we already have in place, okay? We should have expectations already in place before the big, big experiences come. And, you know, if you don't have those expectations in place already, if you are in a position where, okay, you know what, I'm a new Christian, this thing took me by complete surprise and I'm feeling overwhelmed, now's the time to start. However big fear has gotten in your life, if it weighs 10 pounds today and it's going to weigh 12 pounds tomorrow and weigh 15 pounds the next day, Start here, start now, and keep it from gaining weight. Keep it from gaining strength. Keep it from gaining influence in your life. And how about if you never had faith? Well, it's never too late to start. And that's the point. This can be a wonderful starting place to say, I'm going to look at the facts of the matter, and then I'm going to act and respond maturely and look to Christ and look to the scriptures for my answers. So great scripture to help us with this. Second Peter chapter 3, we're going to do verses 9 through 10 now. We'll come back and do a few more verses a little bit later on. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I love this. Look at the hope that this verse brought out. God's promises, he desires that... Um, None would perish, that we would all come to repentance. You know, like you said, Rick, we should turn up the light. We should be a beacon of light at this time because there is good news for eternity, hope for all in the future. There is, and that's a wonderful way to start this. You know, not willing that any should perish. Now read verse uh, verse 10 because it's got a little bit of a different feel to it. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are there within shall be burned up. Well, that doesn't sound good. You know, you're just talking about, oh, it sounds great. We're not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, and the earth shall be burned up. You know, you look at those two together, and you say, well, wait, what's the sense? And folks, that is the sense. It gives us the goodness of God's plan and says that path goes through trouble, because mankind is destroying himself. That's what this verse is talking about. Faith's expectations show us the opportunity for worldwide repentance and for coming trouble. And again, the repentance 
is eternal. The trouble is very temporary. But wait, on that verse 10, what I, we don't have time to cover it here, but that's highly symbolic. Yes. Because we know Ecclesiastes 4.1, the earth abideth forever. We can't contradict with this Second Peter scripture that says the earth and all of its works are burned up. Right. So different topic. And in fact, we have a video that we've done on this. We'll put that in the rewind that goes through this scripture verse by verse and explains its symbolism of the earthly governments, the earthly religious systems, that is what's being burned up in order to make room for Christ's kingdom. Exactly. And so there is good news. It comes through a hard road, but there is good news. So such expectations of this should make us carefully consider our steps. And Proverbs 4, 25 and 27 is a good verse on that. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet, and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Folks, what we're saying is focus on those things that are true, and that are sound, and that are scriptural, and that are reasonable, and let all the other stuff bounce off of you. Have those blinders on so you can only absorb that which is profitable. Jonathan, go ahead. Turn fear to faith. Yes, it's really, really, really simple. So that, go ahead, Julie. Well, with all this newfound time that many of us have been given, perhaps we need to look at it as a blessing because some of us now have the ability to learn more about the Bible, to study the subject we always wanted to, or to memorize scriptures. So we're going to suggest go to christianquestions.com, Click on the Bible study tab on the gray bar, and we've got a lot of great ideas here, including our new study questions that are now included with every program. So you can listen, read the CQ Rewind show notes, and then review study questions just to make sure that you've you've understood what, what we're dealing with. So like Jonathan, if you said before, even if you're not a Christian, but you're looking at this saying, hey, there may be some sense here, this is a great way. We put the tools together to give you the step-by-step approach to be able to comprehend. So that's what this is about. Managing, to manage our fear, uh, our, uh, to, uh, sorry, to manage fear, our faith and its expectations should bring us face-to-face with the reality of action. Action, F-E, fear, uh, faith, expectation, action. Here's where we apply the reality of our faith. So let's go back to Second Peter, uh, uh, chapter 3. Now we're going to read verses 11 to 13. Seeing then that these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? So when we look at that, that's our theme verse. What kind of person are you going to be? You know that trouble is coming. And right now, folks, we know that we've got some interesting troubles right now that are very, very unique. What kind of person are you going to be? That's what Peter is asking us here. So he's asking a very profitable personal question. Then he goes into verse 12. Looking for the hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So you notice how he keeps going back and forth. He tells us something really good, really positive, really strong. Then he gives us a prophecy of, yeah, you know, it's going to be really difficult. You know, the the elements melting with fervent heat. In other words, the systems are going away because, like Julie said, you're making room for the government of God. So you've got got the positive, you've got this hard, short-term trouble, and then you have verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Yes. You see, 
That's the way we need to manage our way through the fear. Take the action of saying, this is how I live. Not just how I think, not just how I feel. This is how I live. I live with the expectation of God's kingdom, and I live in the anticipation that whatever he brings, his providence will overrule, and we can get through it in his way, not our way. That's what faith's actions are. Faith's actions direct us to be protected so we may go through the times of trial and not to avoid them. That's our, the point. Don't try to avoid it. Go through the times of trial. And here's the question. What's your permanent spiritual address? What's the address you live at spiritually, which will protect you from spiritual harm? And when did you move there? Okay? Because if we don't have the right address, we're not going to have the right protection. Psalm 91, verses 1 through 4, talks about that address and what to expect. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Okay. That's the address. Dwells in the shelter of the Most High. You are abiding. You live covered by the shadow of the Almighty. There is no safer place to live, no matter what's happening in your life. Why do we live here? In verse 2. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We move there because we trust the landlord. Okay, we move there because he is all-powerful. What do we expect from living there? Verse 3. For it is he who delivers us from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. Our deliverance is through God. Now, does God take us out of the virus? No. Does God protect us from getting the virus? No. Does he protect us from the panic? No. But if we allow ourselves to be protected, we can get through whatever those things are. And that's the next point about this address, is what is expected of us, Psalm 91, verse 4. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. Under his wings you may seek refuge. Doesn't mean you automatically have it. You have to go get it. That's part of the action of living a Christian life. So we need to make sure that we are living at the right spiritual address. And if you're not there, move. Simple as that. Spiritually, move. Put up a for sale sign on your old address and immediately move. There is a vacancy and it's waiting for you. So that's what we need to do. Julie, flushing out fear in this segment, what is it? Fear may relentlessly challenge us, but in the end, simply cannot stand up to one whose faith is tangible and whose faith expectations are clear and whose faith actions are sure. It's up to us to be the beacon of light. That's simple. That's exactly what we need to be focusing on. Listen, this sounds great and inspiring, but how can we be sure that we're standing for God? Know his plan. Faith is important. What can we do to be a beacon of light to those around us in such times of panic? What's up, everybody? It's your CQ voiceover guy, reminding you we also want to talk to you before and after the podcast. Send us a message at ChristianQuestions.com for any and all feedback, or message us on our social media channels. Have a topic idea or just questions about what we're talking about? Reach out at ChristianQuestions.com. In a panic such as this, we need to be creative. While social distancing is important, we must realize that spiritual distancing is not on the table. To be a light to others first requires knowledge and conviction, and then requires communication. Communicating lights, light 
helps to alleviate fear. So this is a really important aspect of this thing. First of all, spiritual distancing is not on the table. What does that mean and what doesn't that mean? Before we get into the segment, Jonathan, I just want to go into just a side, a side note here that I think is really, really important based on some news and some articles that we've been, been reading and hearing about. You know, there have been several church congregations throughout the country that have been meeting and drawing their 500 to 1,000 people together in their, in their, in their meetings against the, the directives of the governors of their states. And these Christians are going to church, and they're going there, and, you know, obviously they're saying, well, you know, God is going to protect us. We're going there in faith. And folks, let's get real with this, okay? You know, this is a serious thing, and God doesn't just make it so no Christian is going to get sick. You know, it's, that's not the way it happens. When we step outside of what is healthy for those around us, you know what? You might be young enough where you're going to get sick and you need to get better. But what if you contaminate somebody who's older because you were careless? What would you do? How would you live with yourself? Folks, if you're a Christian and you're still going to church and you're in a state that says you shouldn't be doing that, please have respect. Have respect for those who are trying to alleviate a seriously difficult situation and say, you know what? I'm going to stay away out of respect for the other people around me. Because you know what? Let's be honest. It's not about you. It's not about you. It is about us playing our role to help others be able to, to manage this. I mean, there have been articles about, about uh, choirs, church choirs getting together and practicing for hours. And there was an article where there were 60 members of a choir that got together several weeks ago and practiced. Folks, 45 of them are now sick and two of them are now dead. So stop. You're tempting the Lord. Don't. Don't, don't do that. Let's be respectful and let's play our part and be a beacon of light. Even though we are not able to be, you know, completely uh, connected, we're not isolated, we're just simply distanced. Use your opportunities to overcome that distance. Okay, I'm done with that. Let's move on. One last piece um, from the, uh, the C uh, CDC um video, coronavirus disease, COVID-19. And this is about two kinds of cells that destroy. And, and again, this is giving us back into the, the factual look at the virus itself. And the point is, it's dangerous. And we want to have great respect for it. Two kinds of cells in particular wreak havoc. First, neutrophils, which are great at killing stuff, including ourselves. As they arrive in their thousands, they start pumping out enzymes that destroy as many friends as enemies. The other important type of cells that go into a frenzy are killer T-cells, which usually order infected cells to commit controlled suicide. Confused as they are, they start ordering healthy cells to kill themselves too. The more and more immune cells arrive, the more damage they do and the more healthy lung tissue they kill. This might get so bad that it can cause permanent irreversible damage that leads to lifelong disabilities. In most cases, the immune system slowly regains control. It kills the infected cells, intercepts the viruses trying to infect new ones, and cleans up the battlefield. Recovery begins. So what we have there is a very specific look at how it works on the inside. And it is scary, and it's something we need to be aware of, and we need to be on top of so that we can focus on it appropriately as Christians, being a beacon of light, not violating safety protocols, 
because that's just simply disrespectful, but, be, but, but living up to a higher standard and using the safety protocol as best as you can to encourage others and to help them get away from fear. That's what we should be about. So, so Jonathan, the acronym FEAR, F-E-A-R, how we want to turn it around, let's go over all four aspects and we'll touch on the fourth one now. F stands for faith. It's a decision, not an emotion, and needs to be applied and not merely felt. E is for expectation. Here is where you apply the roots of your faith. A is for action. Here's where you apply the reality of your faith. And R is for rejoice. Here is where you witness the results of your faith. And and, the, and Rick, there was something that uh, came to me for this subject, and, and the word was peace. And there's two scriptures that Jesus spoke that I really think we should really enter into. John 16, 33 these things I have spoken to you so that in me you shall have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And the second is John 14, 27. And this is talking about we have a legacy of love and peace left to us by Jesus. And he says, my peace I leave with you. You know, and that's such an important thing. Jesus leaves his peace with us. What are we going to do with it? If we don't apply it to our lives and the action and so forth, it's going to just fall onto, into a life that, it, that it, it finds no use. Let the peace of Jesus drive you to be that beacon of light. Julie, was there something else that you... Uh, oh, no. Okay. Okay. So, you know what? Just before we get into the, the rejoicing part, uh, Trish, my wife and program observer, <laughs> left me a note. She says, you know, doesn't God overrule these things for our best interest? Uh, that's, uh, that is for all, for all people. You said that the, the God doesn't protect us from this virus. What I was saying is God is not just because we get together going to say, okay, I'm going to put a dome over you and you guys are going to be safe and sound. That's not it. We should not step outside of using the spirit of a sound mind, using our spiritually highest motives and thinking, because we can step outside of God's protection. Could God protect us from the virus? Sure he could. Do I think he's going to? I don't know. Am I willing to be dumb and take a chance? No, simply not. We want Because to... you're going to hurt other people, and, and that's, that's the, the point. thing. That's the point. That's the point. That's the point. It's not about me. It's about those around me and being as positive and, and, and sanitary, if you will, and influence as we possibly can be. So moving forward, here's what God's plan looks like. There will be a time of worldwide trouble, you know, and it's just, it's going to happen. Luke, we, we started with this verse in uh, segment two, Luke 21, 25 to 26 is going to set the tone for what this process is going to look like. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth dismay among nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting for fear and the expectation of things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Okay, so we've got that verse, and that is a scary verse. The earth dismay among nations, perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. The sea and the waves are representative of the masses of humanity. So there is a dramatic unrest that's happening in these verses, and it says men fainting from fear. That word, the word is where we get our word phobia from, actually. And so it's, it's a serious situation. The time of trouble is definitely a serious situation. Uh, 
So, Julie, you had another scripture you wanted to put in here. Well, Matthew twenty four twenty two in the King James Version reads, And except those days should be shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Well, this certainly sounds like really bad times are ahead. If it's so bad that everyone would die, but for the fact that God will intervene, that sounds like even a worse future pandemic. Yeah, and and I don't think that ends up being a, a pandemic so much as it being a, a, a series of a lot of different things. Do I know exactly? No, no, no. Am I going to tell you? No, because I don't know. But the point is that the trouble of that time will be serious, recognizable, and unmistakable in terms of it crumbling the, the society around us. Now, is that a scary thing? It sure is. It absolutely is. And how do we understand where we are? Well, let's take a look again, another scripture, another part of the process. This time that we're talking about will come upon the world in the same way labor pains come when a child is to be born. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 to 3. Now as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anyone, anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night, where they are saying, peace and safety. Then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. And you know, the idea of labor pains upon a woman, I've watched it three times. I don't know how my wife did it, (laughs) but she did. And it is an amazing experience because the pain is unbearable and the beauty of the birth is incomprehensible. And that is why I believe that experience is used to show this time of trouble. The hard, hard pain which lasts for but a short moment, and then the beauty of a new life, which has an entire lifetime before it. That is a picture of the kingdom. So yes, this this COVID-19 and all of the things that happen to us, these are part of the labor pains that bring us closer. Is Is it scary? Yes. Should we live in peace? Yes. Why? Because God's providence is bigger than the moment's. Remember, God's providence is eternal. He's got it all in hand. You know, Dominic wrote me a note that says, God has a plan and you're in it, so don't think you're alone. Okay? And that is important. Well said. We are not alone, and that's what we're talking about this for. We need to be beacons of light. We need to be supporting of one another, to be encouraging when those around us are down, to say, look, it is difficult, but God's grace is with us. God's providence is with us. Maybe some of us get sick, maybe we don't. Does it matter? No. What matters is we are staying close to God through Christ. So this time of trouble, moving forward, you've got all of this this anarchistic-looking stuff and labor pains. So here's the big question. How do we know when? We keep alluding to something in the future and like saying, yeah, but we're not going to tell you what, because we don't know. But we do know a little bit about some of the markers that the scriptures have given us as to when. Israel, Israel, the nation of Israel is a massive and obvious key to God's timing. We have, within the lifetimes of my grandparents to us, witnessed the miraculous return of Israel to their land, but yet there's more trouble to come. And we've done podcasts on this in the past. Psalm 83, verses 1 to 5, gives us a picture of 
the physical nation of Israel, and it, we believe this to be a prophecy of things yet to come. Psalm 83, 1 to 5. O God, do not remain quiet, do not be silent, and O God, do not be still, for behold, your enemies make an uproar, and those who hate you have exalted themselves. They make shrewd plan against your people and conspire together against your treasured ones. They have said, come and let us wipe them out as a nation. Then the name of Israel be remembered no more, for they have conspired together with one mind against you. They make a covenant. So in, in, this, um, in this prophecy, it's talking about big, big trouble to come upon Israel. And Julie, you had some, some pieces on that. Yeah, so episode 824, you did a program called What Did Jesus Say About Israel? And you had a, an excellent guest uh, named David Stein who went through the Israeli prophecies. So, so what I'm getting is certain prophecies still have to come true because they haven't come true yet. And then things you know really ramp up. And so you've just read Psalm 83. The other big bookend to this is Ezekiel 38. And the way I remember that is 83, flip it, it's 38. Um, but episode 824, excellent, excellent study on these prophetic markers, as you say, that need to come first. And that gives us an idea of where we are on the stream of time. Okay. So we know that Israel is a big, big marker for this. And we look at Israel and we watch very, very carefully. And that helps us to, to be focused because they are God's physical people on earth. The true church is God's spiritual people on earth. Israel is God's physical people on earth. Now, in spite of all Israel's coming troubles, they will be blessed, and they will bless others. Another prophecy which we haven't seen come true yet, Zechariah 8, 20-23. And Rick, this really covers the R for rejoice. Yes, there you go. Thus says the Lord of hosts, it will be that people will come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one will go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will also go. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew saying, let us go with you. For we have heard that God is with you. What an amazing prophecy. Folks, listen to this. Because, you know, we just talked about Israel having great, great trouble. But here, Israel is a great, great blesser. And it says, those from all these other nations come and say, we've heard God is with you. That is showing us the other side. That's showing us the birth after the birth pangs. What it's showing us is the goodness. You know, look. Look. Jesus... When we all know this, Jesus, they said to Jesus, teach us to pray. And he said, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The next phrase gets completely misunderstood. He said, thy kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Folks, that, Jesus, if Jesus said, here's how you pray, remember for God's kingdom to come on earth as, and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we haven't seen anything close to that yet. If Jesus said to pray for it, it's a done deal. Let the peace of God that passes all understanding wrap you up in what's coming so the fear that surrounds you now can be handled with grace and strength and courage and faith. You know, what is the end of all this? Folks, the end of all this is a beginning. 
That's what the end of all this is. Revelation, our final scripture, Jonathan, Revelation 21, verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. That is a prophecy that we haven't seen come true either. Understand that where we are in the panic of the, the, this pandemic of COVID-19 is difficult and it's scary. It's not the end. Make it a beginning for you. Julie, I know you told me that you had some final comments that you needed to make, and now's your time. <laughs> okay, well, let's first flush out our fear. Our personal fear can be vanquished when we embrace the power of God's plan with conviction, and to stand as a beacon of light and truth is our calling. And remember, in segment one, we talked about people misapplying scripture to predict this virus. Well, I found a text that 100% applies to us right now, what's going on. It tells us we should definitely be stockpiling. Okay, she springs this on us now, huh? (laughs) Matthew 16, 20 tells us to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You can't take it with you, but you can send things ahead of time. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Julie, great scripture. Folks, listen, you know, this is important. This is a tough time. We've never in our society seen what we're seeing and experienced what we're experiencing. Stay with it. Find the facts. Put away all of the, 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 the noise and the static and focus on what's real. Focus on God's plan and then focus on what can I do to make this better for myself, for my family, for my neighbors, and for those who are afraid and for those who are sick, and those who are unsure of themselves. We have the power to be beacons of light, to give the hope of the kingdom, and to give a good old-fashioned handout, at a distance at this point, but a handout of help and encouragement to our fellow man. Please, step up and shine. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is, please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about what things troubled Jesus. What things troubled Jesus? A lot of times we don't think Jesus was troubled, but he was very anxious about three specific things. Talk to you next week.